So um, we have Tom Allen here, and he's going to explain um, about his early days as a recording engineer at Regent Sound in particular, and his experience with the early Genesis. Tom, over to you. Yeah, well, Genesis, um, I was at school with all of them. I didn't know them, really, because I was a bit older than they were, you know, at school, a two-year age difference is like, uh, you know, aliens. Um, but I was a contemporary of Jonathan King, and he uh, decided that I think Genesis came in and made their first album. I'm not even sure if they'd left school at that stage. I think it must have, must have been... I don't know why I seem to think that it might have been in their holidays or something. And he brought them in there, and it must have been all over in a, in a very short time, because I really don't recall very much about making that record. And it wasn't until I met Ant Phillips a few years ago, and he insists that I engineered the whole album. And I'm not sure if I even have a credit on the album. What I can't was the album? <sighs> Do you remember? What was their first album called? It was called um, present but not correct. Present but not correct. Yeah. Uh, okay, we we got to find out because this is going to. Yeah, I mean. Uh, so Tom, gonna, what, 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 Jonathan King, what was he like in those days? What was his? Well, you know, he he'd had a he'd had a big success with that single that he he recorded called "Everyone's Gone to the Moon," and. He, he was, I mean, um, was it um, Trick of the Tail or Selling England by the Pound? I can't remember which was the first one. Anyhow, first album was from Genesis to Revelation. Of course it was. And uh, we've got it here, and it was released on the 7th of March. And it was a Decca release. And... Um, John King ended up having a really good relationship with Decker. In fact, he became very friendly with Ted Lewis, the boss, and became a sort of consultant for him. Um, he was a he was a very he was a very good record maker. I mean, he, he was a very musical bloke, um, and uh, and he came in to do the album at Regent Sound because I was there basically, and he thought it'd be nice to work with. With uh, you know somebody who who he knew, and the band sort of I guess felt reasonably happy with that, and uh, they were yeah there it is you see it was recorded at Regent Sound there you go in there you go nineteen sixty eight it was recorded in in um, August sixty eight mm. days and yes it probably was. So after Genesis, I mean, you, you, you went on to work things like The Strokes, for example, right. where, where I think you alluded to the fact you, you started to grow into become a producer. Yeah, I, I, was in, I engineered their first, the first album I did with them, I was, I was credited as engineer, but I, I know I'd had a lot of input into the sonically and some of the effects. And uh, as I was alluded to before, Dave Cousins, who was the leader of the band, was very ambitious uh, in... in the way he wanted to record and he was he was an innovator definitely and, and that kind of rubbed off on me and it kind of spurred me on to be a bit more ambitious with recording ideas 
which you could then say were production ideas. Um, and uh, I did, I, I worked with them, you know, all the way sort of all the way through the 70s, really. Um, Genesis were, you know, went on and did what we all know they did. Um, they were they were pretty uh, they were pretty raw when they when they came in. There wasn't you know they weren't very polished. I think in fact the other engineer at Regent Sound may have done quite a lot of it. I remember doing the vocals with Peter Gabriel. I mean they were you know they was they were schoolboys. These days, musicians by the time they're eighteen are usually pretty accomplished because of the competition. You know like anything else, you know, world records get broken every year, you know. Uh, they were quite raw, and um, I, I'm not sure when I last listened to that album decades ago. It'd be quite fun to get it, actually, have a listen. I mean, 1968 was a pretty seminal year. There were a lot of really interesting bands emerging, the, the sort of Beacons, post-Beacons, Pepper. Yeah. Uh, the whole universe of music was expanding into Cream and Led Zeppelin and people were emerging. Yeah. Did you, did you pick up some of that vibe in the studio, that that was a deregulation of what pop was about, effectively? Um, I, at the time, I can't remember that happening. Um, um, we, I was stuck in the studio all the time. And we at Regent, we weren't doing very many of the sort of groundbreaking albums, other than that first Sabbath one, and half of the second one. And I suppose the Genesis album became groundbreaking in a way, uh, but we weren't aware of it. And then I left in 1970 and I started going out and doing freelance work um, with, with uh, a number of, I, I recorded a couple of Scottish bands, um, which never amounted to anything, unfortunately, but they, they were people in those bands that, that got better known. One, one of the bands sort of formed the nucleus of what became the Alex Harvey band. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it, 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 I kind of, I kind of feel like I should have felt I was more part of the swinging sixties in London, but for some reason, I, I mean, it was the tail, the very tail end of the sixties and I didn't go and work, start working for myself until 1970. Uh, and it, it, London was a, you know, an, a very much an emerging city then, in, in culturally certainly, and there were, you know, there were the risque shows like Hair, where people took their clothes off on stage for the first time, you know, and um, it was, it was trend setting, definitely. But in the studio, people were pretty straight. They worked hard. They had you know, time yeah. limits. And, they had time limits you know. and budgets. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very immune for the rest of it. The, the other thing is you went on with the straw to, to work with, I think, the tourists as well. I worked Annie Lennox. with Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. Yeah. I did um, not their first album, but their second album. And they, at the time, were also managed by the same people that managed me. Who was and, that? Who was that? Um, it was a company called Arm Carter. And um, the first album we did, uh, recorded a lot of it at Dick James' studio. 
Um, we did some of the overdubs in Olympic, but I think we mixed it back at Dick James, um, so far as I remember. What's um, interesting about that is that from the old days of doing like it in two days, it had merged into separate studios, doing yeah. it in parts. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the whole process is elongated. That, that yeah, and they were they were a, they were an interesting band to record. I mean. Um, in particular, Annie's voice was just amazing. Didn't have to do anything. Just stuck her in front of the right mic. And it sounded wonderful, you know, and she had that voice. Um, and that was a nice little record. There was some, there was some good stuff on that. Uh, the hit, I think. Only Want to Be With You, the cover version of that, which was, was quite a big hit for them. Um, and I did another record with them a bit later that we did in George, George Martin's Montserrat studio, which was not an especially happy affair. They weren't getting a lot, you know, it was a difficult album to do there. I don't know, there was, they'd been touring a bit. I think there was some degree of um, apprehension about being too successful. I don't quite know why, but of course, after the tourists, Annie and Dave became unbelievably successful. And we mixed the second album at Air Studios in uh, Oxford Circus when it, was, when it was there. That was engineered by John Punter, who was quite an accomplished producer. And his, um, he, he was kind of gifted to us to help us at, in Montserrat because it was a studio that he knew. Uh, and his, his manager, John Burgess, said, yeah, I'll send you John Ponte, he'll do it. Because John and I knew each other. Um, what do you remember of that session, though, apart from the fact it was a bit apprehensive? In Montserrat, there was, they, it was pulling in different directions. They were very keen not to be too fussy about it. And so it was almost too ragged at times. And um, I kind of fell out with Annie a bit on it. Uh, and I think it, was, I think it was at that point in their careers when Dave, Dave Stewart realised that he was actually a pretty good record, record maker himself. And I don't think they felt they really needed me around. Um, and that was the last record they made as the tourists. I guess... All bands transition, don't they? Well, a, a lot of bands come to the conclusion they don't need producers, and I'd say eighty percent of the time they're wrong. But <laughs> in in his in their case, you know, he was Dave was really you know was really switched on in the studio, and um, uh, yeah, I think I. I I think every band benefits from having the right producer. Having the wrong producer is a disaster. But, uh, and I've certainly fallen into that category more than once. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, and, um, yeah, so I worked with them for a while and then, I, then the Straubs went off and made about three albums with a couple of other producers. And then I, I, I made another album with them in, I think, 1978, 
and I was working a lot of the time in um, at Ringo's studio, which had been John Lennon's place, Tittenhouse Park down in near Ascot. And I did, um, did I worked with the Straubs there, but I worked with Hudson Ford, who were a spin-off band from the Straubs. I did three albums with them. And we, I think we did two of them at, at Tittenhurst. Um, so that's the Imagine, the one that um, yeah, the house Lennon has in Imagine. Yes. Was it like? Did it still feel like that at that stage? It it was really rather strange because all the um, there was a pass key for all the doors, the JYL key, the John and Yoko Lennon key. So their sort of presence was everywhere. The white room had been stripped back to the wooden panels. When I first started working there, Ringo was still officially living there with his wife, Maureen. Did you meet him at all? Then? I, I, I met him maybe twice there, I think. Uh, and then he, he moved out when he went to California and took up with Barbara Barr. And eventually Maureen moved out and we were then able to use, we were then able to stay in the house. In the, in the, um, when I first started working there, we stayed in these little um, cottages down by the garage block. It was very nice. Uh, by the time I worked uh, with um, Judas Priest, we had the run of the house. It was a brilliant place to work. It was, it was a really brilliant place to work. Thanks, Tom. We'll go on to Judas Priest next, I think. <laughs> 